You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. I just want to make sure my uh, soundboard is recording and the cameras are rolling. Yeah, I know. I've talked about it. I do all of it now since Ryan's not here. I mean, I don't do the major, the major, major editing. He does all that. But uh, how's everybody feeling? You know, some weeks I feel like I'm like, I got this, man. I got this. I could handle this. And then other weeks I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm fucking sinking, man. Talk to myself a little more. But the more I'm creative and the more I do things and talk to people and take walks and play with my dogs, I just feel happier. Stay away from the caffeine late in the afternoon. That's going to kill me. Uh, In the outro, we'll talk about my patrons. Uh, I am on on the Patreon. Patreon. I think I have the best Patreon in the world inside of you podcast, Patreon. Uh, it's such an amazing community. And um, put it this way, there's a bunch of tiers. And I don't. I, I, I started to do something that's not even on there, which is these live YouTubes for just my Patreons. And we just jam. They t- you know they send, play this song. And I'll just try to play different songs and we'll talk. And uh, it's fun. I really, I'd say, oh, you're doing it for them. No, they know I'm doing, doing it for me and them. Another thing on the side, it's a completely different project, completely different because uh, obviously inside of you podcast, this is a podcast and these guys are supporters of the podcast and it's sort of this whole community. But uh, John Heater and I have always wanted to do a project with horror movies because we always watch them every week. So John Heater, Napoleon Dynamite, Blades of Glory. He and I uh, have a, uh, an exclusive Patreon and it's called Where Have All the Good Horror Movies Gone? And uh, it's pretty neat. And we just started that. So uh, I hope you'll, uh, you know, you can look at that. And also my favorite charities, uh, Ronald McDonald House of Los Angeles, uh, Tom Welling, Kristen Kruk and I did the omaze.com slash reunion. You could raise his money and you could win a virtual interview with me and uh, Tom and Kristen. And uh, it's fantastic. Omaze.com slash reunion. What else? Foodonfoot.org. One of my favorites. Uh, They've been raising a lot of money. And let me tell you something. Thank you. Because my friend Danson, Rob, called me and said, dude, a lot of your people listen to your podcast have been donating. I'm like, holy shit, it's just, it's too much. It's, it's honestly, I have the best fans in the world. I don't care what anybody else says. I'm, 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 I, I mean it. These are loyal son of a guns right here. And I'm going to name them, some of them at the end. But uh, all my patrons are, are badass. Uh, great guests. He's back. But now you get to see him. A uh, lot to talk about. I always love talking to this guy. We become buds. Just a, a great guy, a positive guy, a stand-up guy, someone who will tell you how it is, and uh, we get into it. And it was just as easy the second time. Sometimes you think uh, there's nothing to talk about. Well, there's way more to talk about. Talk about a guy going on tour and uh, jump-starting that career. Uh, he's He's a force to be reckoned with. You'll learn a lot just from like uh, the confidence and the, the way he thinks. I think that helps. It helped me sort of understand myself better or understand uh, all of us a little better, you know? And I like that he likes the podcast. I got to tell you, I, have a, I wish I could play a, he left me a memo. We didn't even really know each other that well, but he left, left me a memo what he thought about the podcast. And it meant a lot to me. It really, uh, it really did. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's get in. Dane Cook. It's my point of view You're listening to Inside of You With Michael Rosenbaum Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum Was not recorded in front of a live studio audience You can hear me good now though, can't you? I can hear you so fucking good, man God damn it, you sound good Thanks, man It's been a, it's been a crazy day I know this is not about me This is about you this is an interview no, with no, Dan Cook. Us. Well, I had Botox today, a lot of Botox. Um, not on my face, on my neck. So this doctor thought, because all my surgeries and I have a lot of tightness and stuff, he goes, let's try some Botox. So we did 100 units to try and give me some relief. And so I got a whole bunch of injections, and uh, he says it will take a few days. So have you ever gotten any kind of Botox in muscles or any uh, tightness? The only place I've ever done Botox, because I have a friend who's a dermatologist, is in my armpits. Mm, I heard that stop sweat. A lot of my friends did that. Yeah, I mean, it was like I was touring so much, and I found that I'm only a person that, except for a little bit of a a glisten, I was getting getting the sweat pits, and my buddy was like, oh, I could... I could inject some, but I thought he was kidding. He's like six uh, little injections and you won't sweat for like six months. And I'm like, oh, great. 
until you realize, well, the sweat's got to come out somewhere else. So it's like suddenly your fucking thighs are just seeping. <laughs> Is that true? Well, I didn't sweat out of my pits for like six months. It was amazing. <laughs> but I did, I did notice other parts of my body seemed uh, very moist. Would you exchange armpit sweat for uh, thigh sweat? I'll take the thigh sweat any day over the armpit sweat. It be, and you know what it is? And this is going to sound really fucking weird, but I'm a weird dude about little things. The aesthetic of two uneven pit stains is what bothers me more than the sweating or anything else. Richard Pryor, when he did Live on Sunset Strip, that silk shirt goes through so many different... It, it looks like an atlas that's been updated year after year with, like, landmass. <laughs> It's and it fucking drove me crazy as a kid, and I was like, I don't like things not being little things not being aesthetic like sweat pit. If I could sweat at the exact same uh, circumference at the same time to reach pit, I'd be okay with that. What's that word? Symmetrical. Symmetrical is a word that could be used to describe almost that. like the sweat. Yeah. It's symmetrical. You got even uh, amounts of sweat on the left pit, right pit, Brad Pitt, you're doing well there. Now, I have a question. I'm looking, I see me, but all I see is like this much of your head. Oh, shit. Yeah, hold on a second. Oh, look, hey, here's Dane. I love that you've got the jerk poster there. And I'm oh, gonna, you yeah, know what? what I'll a do? fun movie. And then I'm going to move this. And I've got the fucking jerk. Oh, dude. Is he your favorite of all time? Well, hang on, hang on. I sent this to him, and I was like, look at this picture that I got of you. And he wrote back, he's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, yeah. All right, hold on, let me sit down. This is so much work. Um, you, sa- you, you said something, you were like, oh, my God, Steve Martin, you've got this picture of Steve Martin. You're looking at my jerk poster. And then you said, yeah, I, I, I text him or you emailed You have Steve Martin's information? I do. Steve, Steve Martin sent me a copy of his, his great book, which is, if you haven't read it, is, well, it's flipped, but Born Standing Up. And uh, when that came out, I had the opportunity to have a lunch with him to talk all things comedy. But I had met him previously, very briefly. I was at the comic strip in New York. This is like 2004. And Lauren Michaels had come to watch me do a set. And I get into the club and I don't see Lauren. I don't see anybody. It's just a packed crowd. I go on stage. And when I came off the stage... My buddy, Matt Frost, who was my booker then and still I work with now, he's like, do you know who's here? And I'm like, yeah, Lauren Michaels came down. He told me he was coming. He goes, he brought Steve fucking Martin. So I got to meet Steve. I got, you know, great pictures, have a chat with him briefly about comedy. And then he went on his way. Uh, And some years later, when he wrote the book, I got a copy. I just got a copy of it sent through my publicist and said, can I meet him? And the next day I had lunch with him. And this was, was this at the height of your career? Well, by height of my career, you mean today? Well, yes, because, the, well, we'll talk about that because there's a lot of great shit going on until all this shit happened. Right. And the, but no, I know no. you're joking. I know it's a joke. It's all a joke, right? But <laughs> it's, it, yes, it was, it, was a, it was a white hot moment. And of course, uh, Steve had written something really cool on the book, with, which was like pertaining to the fact that, th- you know, that this book was something that I think he, oh, I have it. I think you wrote something oh, like wrote um, something. Actually, it's on this one. You have Let's another see. one. He wrote, "Dear Dane, read this and just substitute your name for mine, Steve Martin." Wow! And so, dude, lunch the next day with the guy that ultimately, you know, pre Dice having his explosive moment. I was finally sitting with the Yoda for me to be able to talk shop. Well, I'm hoping that this was, no, this wasn't. This wasn't post-Botox shots for sweat from your friend. This was pre. So I'm guessing you were probably sweating. I'm not like a... You a don't person. get nervous. You told me this in the last interview. No, I don't normally get nervous, but I do get trepidatious. And I was definitely feeling that before I went in. Also knowing that he's he's a, he's a bit more of like a... Introvert. Introvert. Yeah. So leading into it, knowing I go into introvert mode, and if he's there, then, like, what the fuck is this going to be? It's going to be just, like, very zen. Um, but it was great. It turned out to be a really eye-opening lunch. How long? An hour? Like an hour and a half. And it was comfortable. You felt comfortable after a while. Like, I like this guy. I think this guy likes me. Were you concerned about him liking you? Because that's what I would be doing. I'd be sitting in a room going, I just want this person to like me. I was, I, I mean, I was obviously hoping that 
based on the the things that he was that he perceived from my stand up and then just some of the the nice elements of the conversation that yes in my head I was like I wonder if I'm going to have like a friendship with with Steve Martin will I be will I be incommunicado with him on a regular basis after this um but more than anything just knowing how the industry is and how we all cross paths even friendships sometimes you don't see each other for years yeah I was just going to take full advantage of the hour or whatever I was on the clock <laughs> with Steve Martin. This is it. Because that could be your only time. Yeah. Think about it. That's how I think. I, you know, I've talked about this, but when you're on set with somebody you admire and it's the end of the shoot or whatever, or you, you meet somebody random to me, I'm like, this is probably it. I'm not going to meet this person again. Why don't I just say something that I mean? Why don't I just right. like uh, get a picture? Get a, get a, a lot of people aren't that way. A lot, most people, most actors I've talked to are like, no, I don't need a picture with somebody. No, I don't need this. I, I, I want one. If I like the person, I admire someone, I want it because I always think my career is over now, today. It's going to be over today, and I want to say, hey, I knew Steve Martin. Right, right. Well, it's like it's also that thing of someday I want to be able to show my kids. You know, we all, everybody's yep. going in different directions. You may never see work with these people again, so you want to be able to say, Hey, look, I know that I'm probably a, you know, a, a nerd or lame to you, but I've worked with some iconic uh, people. So, yeah, why not? Go for the go for the picture, I say. Do you notice, are you very hyper aware when you're walking in with someone of that caliber? And by the way, you're you're like in your element. You're like, a, they, people know who you are at this time. It's like, it's not like Steve Martin is walking in with Michael Rosenbaum. It's Steve Martin's walking in with Dan Cook, right? The people that were already in the restaurant, like some of the reactions were straight out of like a badly scripted movie where one guy was like, Dane Cook is with Steve Martin. Like I heard him say that Dane Cook's with Steve Martin right there. And it was like, <laughs> and I turned to that guy and I was like, I'm, I can't fucking believe it either. And he just like that guy laughed. It would have been better if you went Steve Martin's with Dane Cook. <laughs> now you're paying. But he was very subdued when I first sat down. Like he was, he was, um, he was so like laid back or, you know, chilled to the point where, I had to go into what I call like meet and greet mode, which is, you know, when I'm meeting fans and I'm feeling kind of shy, I have to become like a somewhat of a talk show host. Right. So immediately I found myself probably coming in a little hot by being like, very, very nice to see you, Mr. Steve Martin. I can say I'm familiar with your work. Like something just to get it. <laughs> and he's but, like, but, yeah. but my feet in my, my sneakers have formed two fists. You know, like, that's where I hold a lot of my tension. You right. don't normally see it if I'm nervous with you now. Then, like, my feet have rolled up under, and it's just kind of a hoof as I'm hoping that he doesn't go, I'm fucking out of here. Fuck this. Fuck you. Right. He just walks. <laughs> but he, uh, you know, I did a movie with him, and people are like, oh, here we go again. No, I just remember, I was like, holy shit, Steve Martin, Steve Martin. And all my scenes are with him, small scenes, but I, I had this terrible wig and I had to, whatever. And I remember the first day on set, I was just standing there. I didn't know anybody. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a social guy and I want to, I want people to like me and stuff. And I remember Steve Martin just comes up and goes, so tell me about this Smallville. <laughs> and I just started going, oh my God. I go, hey, yeah. And we talked and I'd sit at the table at lunch, you know, and he'd come up and oh. go, is anyone sitting here? He would sit with me. I, I looked like the nerdy alone kid, which I, I always was. And then I became something, I guess, eventually. And, you know, people, I guess, sort of pretended to like me. <laughs> no, no, I have friends that like me. Uh, but, you know, so he was, he has that awesome energy. And I loved watching him work. The guy was, he's one of those guys who he did a take and he'd run over the camera and go, oh, oh, oh I could be bigger there. I could be bigger there. I could do right. that. You know, I learned a lot from that. Yeah. He's like, uh, what I, got from him and what a privilege to have worked with him like you did um what i got from him was like wow this guy is the ultimate pro because he's really all about the i hate the word character but the character that he becomes in performance the elevated version of himself but in real life he's actually just more um cerebral you know, contemplative and, and and you know what i mean yeah uh, run, running numbers just so laid back and so in kind of inside himself that it makes you appreciate all his performances even more. Yes. I, I wonder that about, you know, <laughs> I'm not comparing, but I'm saying. No, please I, do. No. Well, I'd like to compare myself <laughs> with Steve Martin right now. No, but I think that it's sort of, I think people are the, it's the other way around. Like they see, I mean, obviously some of but when I was Lex Luthor, they would, people thought I was a serious billionaire, brilliant mastermind. And they'd meet me and they're like, oh my God, like women would be turned off more when they met me. They were like, you know, oh, you're not that smart. You're not that. 
No, but I think that I was sort of like, you know, with Steve Martin, you see this fun loving guy. And then he was like, oh, he's this introvert. And I was sort of like all, all over the place where people are like, yeah, and they couldn't believe that I had like a personality and I was funny. And I, you know what I mean? It was the opposite. Yeah. Do you think that works better? You know, cause Steve, not Steve, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey is like one of those introverts. It's, it's sometimes I think, is, is he really an introvert? Do you think some people just play that game, play that card? Uh -oh. Well, yeah, I'm sure that some people do. I mean, everybody kind of like wants to put up, uh, you know, what's their excuse to put up the castle door so that they can kind of be like, you know, you know, not have to feel like they're on. I do know people like that. I know people who are the opposite. They're on all the time and they are always finding a way to um, spark some kind of moment with people. For me, I'm glad I'm kind of, I'm like more middle of the road. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable chatting with people and, so that being said, I mean, just being able to sit with this guy who was so fucking laser focused to perform in front of 20,000 people. And yet you can see that just one on one, even that is probably too big of a crowd for him to some extent. I wonder if there's a way to learn that. Is there a way to you've always been this confident guy? You go on stage. This is your home. Is there a way to learn that at a or, or is it when you get to a certain age? This is just you. You can't change your sort of. Uh, yeah, I think it's like. All that stuff, the confidence and everything that people sees from, see from, you know, from me as a performer, that was like fucking brick by brick, building myself up to actually believing that I had the ability to connect and perform for people. That, that like, I don't, I make no bones about it. That was like harder than performing was walking to the stage to perform. The performing was like, oh, I can play. This is like, you can be childlike. You can. You can be all the things, you you're hiding behind a performance. You can be sad, you can be vulnerable, you can be fucking angry, you can get mad at a heckler, and you can say shit that if you said it on the street, you'd be fucking sued, or you'd be, you know, ostracized from the office. I loved the protective bubble of the stage, but getting from the back of the room to the stage took a lot of years to make that walk and feel worthy of the guy that would finally be up there. So you felt there was a time and until you did the, put the hours in, it's like becoming a doctor, you know, you're going to med school, you're going, you're going to the grind until you know your shit, until you've learned until you're sweating and you're, you're exhausted and you're, and eventually a, hopefully a good doctor comes out of it all. Somebody who's confident, somebody knows who, who, what they're talking about. Is that sort of a good analogy? No. Okay. I didn't think it was, but like the, <laughs> Well, the experience, your experience. What the fuck are you talking about, Michael? <laughs> experience. Like you didn't just become confident one day. Or you, I guess you did, but it took a lot of work. Yeah. You're going to put in all those, all those hours. You know, th the thing is, it's like, you know, you know, so many comedians, you know, so many performers, like every, it's all in the fucking minutia. Everybody brings such a different uh, path to how they became who they are, both in front of the camera and who they are when they're, you know, just. No, nobody's around and how do they treat people and how do they treat themselves? The right. fact of the matter is to be able to be one of the people that can exude confidence, but realize, Oh, wow. I came from the quietest, you know, gave myself the roughest time in, in school. And I could barely even walk to school because the thought of like, just be, get walking through the playground of kids was like devastating and scary for me, for my journey. I'm glad that I can use my platform to exude that confidence as a person who's like, you can get to where you want to be, but it's going to be a long slog. You got to fucking put in the, the woman hours, the man hours, the people hours to, to earn whatever it is that you're chasing after. It's not about getting the thing. It's, it really is. I've been writing a book for the last year and I'm, I'm just finishing up in the last like, What's it called? months. And I'm, I'm still coming up with a couple of titles. That's a good title right there. I'm, st I'm still coming up with titles. <laughs> Title this book. Title this book. But the thing that I learned is like almost everything where I look back, I'm like, oh, wow, I, I did not enjoy the completion of this because once it becomes somebody else's, it's like it, it's the, the, the my favorite part of anything completed is remembering the first call when I called you up and said, dude, I got an idea for something. I'm fucking thinking about doing this thing. Right. That, that is my favorite moment. Me too. It's like you have this moment, even for me, when I. Like, I think I write a, a script, you know, and I go, this is good. This is good. I love this. Then it gets, another, like you said, other people's hands and they start giving you notes. and like, ah, oh, you know, I don't think the studios are going to, I think you should change this. And then you got to get a pitch and then you got all these things. And you're like, God, I just like the idea of doing it. It was just me. And 
it was fun. It was cathartic. And then it was, then it gets kind of, oh, people fuck with it. I mean, look, it's that thing where once other people's energy gets involved, once other people's, um, forget about their confident notes of how they want it. Some people are coming at it with their own insecurities and then projecting it onto your, you know, process. So you got to almost kind of not be bamboozled by the people telling you this is the right way or this can't be done because at the, at the end of it is any stand-up comedy show that I do, the, the stuff that connects with people are the things that were in my brain that I thought was interesting. I shared it with you. The laugh is immediate. The applause is there. End of story. Nobody else impeding on that. And I try to do everything that way. Every project, every friendship, every the way I deal with my family, I try to have direct connection, give you the truth about how I feel from the beginning without impeding on what it is that you're trying to create. Have you ever been like, I, look, I love you, whatever, I'm here, I'm your friend, or I'm your, you're my agent, I just don't want you to give me your opinion on anything. Is there anyone that you just don't want to know their opinion? Because you seem like the kind of guy like, I'm going to do my things, and if they laugh, I will work it out to the way I want it, and I don't want anybody's, uh, other, anybody else's opinion. But that being said, do you also, is there someone, are there a few people that you go, is this funny? And you actually listen to them. First of all, I love that you're moving around like fucking Paula Poundstone in one of her early HBO specials. Dude, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Told you, I got Botox in my neck this morning. All right, go ahead. That's a big chair. I like your chair. It's big. First thing I ever bought with any money, living in my shitty apartment over on Hacienda Boulevard, I had nothing, and I bought this chair. Really? It's the oldest thing that I've had How in old? LA. Uh, 97. And it's comfortable. I've lost everything in this chair. I've gained everything in this chair. I've come with, up with some of my greatest ideas in this chair. I've come up with some of my worst ideas. I've slept in it. I've done everything sex? in it. Sex in the chair? Oh, sex in the chair, of course. Look at this thing. Holy shit. That's a, a flexible chair. 97, I had uh, $3,500 to my name, basically. And I went over to the Valley, and I found a place that sold, like, full-on, like, teak desks. And everything in there looked presidential. And I walked through the whole store and I saw this chair and there was empty store. And I went to the guy who owned it and I said, I want to buy this chair. And he was like, why do you want to buy the chair? And I said, because I'm trying to learn to be a writer and I want to sit someplace <laughs> comfortable. And, uh, <laughs> That's it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's funny. I want to be a writer. He's like, why well, can't you get another chair? <laughs> We can't no, no, you no. sit on a bench. And the guy's like, he's like, hang in this chair, right? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I said, I, I go, I'm going to be, you know, I, I'm a comedian and I spend a lot of my, you know, days like all day and I just want to be comfortable and I want to, and he goes, uh, you have to buy it all. And meaning I had to buy the desk and the side desk and the, and the whole thing was like $5,500. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I wouldn't need, this is larger than my whole apartment. I just want the chair. He's like, I'm not going to sell just a chair. And I walked out to the parking lot, and all of a sudden he goes, hey, guy. And I turned around, and he goes, what is your name? And I go, my name is Dane Cook. And he goes, are you anybody I should know? And I'm like, no, not, not at this point. And he goes, uh, I will sell you the chair. I'll sell you the chair. You buy the chair, you come back to me when you become somebody, and give me the picture of your fucking face. I put it in my office. And he sold me the chair for $1,500 and uh, put it in my fucking, I have great pictures of my shitty old apartment of me sitting in this big chair on my IBM ThinkPad, the first <laughs> brick fucking portable computer uh, on Final Draft 1, learning how to write scripts from this fucking chair. Did you ever? This is, the chair, this is the chair I was sitting in when I learned that my brother fucking was going to jail. This is the chair that oh, I was yeah. sitting in when I got my HBO special and Marty Culner was going to direct it. I mean. This is it. This is it. You're never giving that chair up. No, never. Never. It's it's beat up. It's worn out. Uh, it looks like the emperor's fucking throne, <laughs> but it's so comfortable, and it's kind of my good luck chair. Did you go back to the guy? I did, like seven years later, but the place was uh, defunct. It was no longer there. That Nothing. sucks. I wish he would have been there. I could have seen his face. Hey, remember me? Been. No. I bought that chair, remember? But you wouldn't sell it at first because you wanted the table to go with it? No. 
but I bought it. And then I walked out and you said, are you someone I should know? And I said, no. But when and you said, wait a minute, are you famous now? A guy. Okay. Guy. <laughs> guy. I love when people call each other guy. A guy. <laughs> so. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. Found, I got Rocket Money. <laughs> I, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. And I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside. What do you think is, is obviously you're older now than you were, but like what, what's different? What has, has evolved in the last how many years? Since, I mean, in the last, let's say, 10 years. I, I didn't know you then. Right. But you just feel like that. there's definitely, you, you sent me a, a message that was just incredibly kind and random, in a, random in a good way. And it was this voicemail, and, you, and it was just kind of a personal thing. But you were like, you just said something really nice about uh, me interviewing people. And you just have this flu, fluidity about you and blah, blah. And I just remember going... How freaking cool is that? Because not many people have, you know. You know why? Because, you know, being mindful and allowing feelings about whatever, art, relationships, anything. When something pings you, I feel like it's the responsibility of a, of a healthy, well-rounded person to give away our power, so to speak, 
to the people around us. And I think after going through the whole multitude of everything that I experienced, good and bad, the thing that changed the most in the last 10 years was like, I, I don't, I don't want to ever fucking hold a feeling in. If I have an issue, I need to vent it. If I feel love, I want to say it. If I'm proud of somebody, I want to tell them. And, and, and not to sound like a, like a little what was me about it, but I just wish more people did that for me. I, I, I do what I rarely got, even in that moment of, of breakthrough moment. And I can understand, you know, yeah, some people probably thought that I was untouchable or I was not accessible. And there's a lot of reasoning and I accept all of it, but it still hurt to feel like, wow, is nobody looking and saying, dude, we know the sacrifice you put in. We're doing it too. Fucking good on you, man. Yeah. So I do it for other people. I do it, and I and even though I will get it few and far between when I do receive that back, I know that is a good person, a mindful person. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's true, and, and I think that especially in in this business in Hollywood, it's like who, who really does that? And usually, it's artificial, right? Your agents, people will say, "You're the best. You're going to be, I, you're going to be the next Will Ferrell." I'm like, stop it! I'm not going to be the next Will Ferrell, you know. But certain people, it's not like you need it, but you kind of need it. But it'd be nice if someone like your peers who you respect just came up to you and go, "Hey, man." I want just something it, it's, but it has obviously has to feel real, has to be genuine. And that's the kind of thing that like when you did with me, it was a random, I hadn't talked to you in a couple of weeks, whatever. It was just one of these random things. It was just a thought that occurred to you. You translated it. It hit you. You sent it to me. And that I, I thought that was cool. And I think you're right. More people should do that. You know, man, it's, it, you know, it is, it's like, it's, it's not even just this town. It has nothing to do with just the business. It's just human behavior, you know, fears, people, uh, uh, you know, pr- you know, putting projecting out there and, and how people feel about themselves is usually how they translate and communicate with other people. And I can look at the people in my life now, the people that I've been communicating with during this, you know, weird, scary time are like the people that like myself are very settled into the things that they've done that are both uh, successful and should be celebrated. And they also know their you know, missteps and own it and could talk about failure in a way that's still funny and poignant and informative. So I just own it all, dude. There's nothing that we could talk about that I'm concerned to delve into and say, yeah, that was me then versus how I feel about things going forward now. Yeah, because, I mean, you're pretty serious with this girl. You don't really talk about the girl or you don't mind. I do. Yeah, no, I've been going on uh, three years in my in my relationship. I mean, you seem really happy. Best. The best. The best. Do you ask her if shit's funny? I don't need to. I I know. She'll tell me. (laughs) Without you asking. Yeah. No, I mean, you know how it is. If you're with somebody that that digs your perspective, they're going to be able to, like, not only talk it up when you're you're onto something. And she knows, you know, the comedy brain of, she'll come to me and she'll be like, that's, that's a bit. That's, now she speaks comedy. That's a bit. That's a bit. (laughs) And then sometimes she'll look at me and be like, yeah, that, that's only for us, babe. That's that's definitely not for public consumption. I shouldn't say that. You'll lose your career. <laughs> Does she go to your shows? Oh yeah, she, she. I took her on tour most of the year last year because she's a musician and she also does um, Pilates stuff. She's like a, a private Pilates inspe- uh, instructor, so it's great. She can kind of hang out and go places with me, and we're sharing each other's uh, creative journey, which is awesome. Does she? give you Pilates classes, lessons during when you're on, on the road? Yeah. We've done some like hotel workouts. You know, we, we do the Pilates stuff and yoga together. We actually do yoga together. We go, uh, uh, do, well, we were up until this do yoga once a week and, um, yeah, no, we just, uh, you know, the, the best relationship should be boring to anybody else listening to it. Cause it's just, it's, there's no frills, no drama. It's just a lot of love, man. And that's where I want to be. Well, I like that. I like that. And, you know, it's, I mean, has this affected you? Anybody? I read some of your, you know, your, like your Instagram. I can't wait to look back on this moment in our history and say we made it through together apart. Thankful for the ability to make others laugh, to help others succeed, to set an example, and to exceed my own expectations. Yep. What do you think you're doing now? Like when you're, I don't want to say locked in, but. Like, what are you doing during the day? Is it easy for you? Because someone who's creative, who likes to write, who likes to do, you know, he, he does stand up, he does it. Is it just something like you're okay? 
Where I'm not okay is I, you know, as a person who's come up and learned, you know, having like fear of abandonment issues and having to have gone through deep therapy to, to be okay being alone. I'm glad I went through all those stages to prepare for something like this um, because it's not easy. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, what you did 10 years ago, five years ago. Like it's, it's all, you know, it's all how you feel about the position that you're in right now. And fortunately for me as a person that can, can suffer from anxiety, uh, similar to when I got this chair and I felt very lonely when I first came to LA and didn't know anybody and, and didn't have any connections or really any, anything to put myself into, I fell in love with writing. And this year, having written the book, and then we finally get closed in here, I felt comfortable being on my own. You know, my girl's here, but she's also taking care of her mom close by. So it's, you know, a lot of time where I'm here, you know, working, working on myself, but through the book, that's provided me the opportunity to, um, to feel okay with this not normal situation. When do you feel most anxious? Uh, usually in the morning. It kind of hits me. I'm one of those people I wake up with it before, right? Before you even wake up. You arms are like, numb. Yeah. My arms yeah, are a little numb. Like, I just. Yeah, right? It's, it's, you feel the heaviness. Mm-hmm. And um, if I don't know about you, but if I don't like get up pretty quick and, and get moving, it's not going to be, I'm going to be having conversations in my head about, you know, does this person care about me? Should I ask? Should I? It's like, I get overwhelmed. So that's where it lands on me in the morning. Well, that that's exactly, you know, when I went to the therapist uh, in Connecticut years ago, this one therapist, I remember she goes, um, so how are the mornings? I go, I wake up with anxiety and I've told the story, but I think it's worth telling again. Cause you know, we're talking about yours and waking up with anxiety. I go, I have, I have anxiety. She goes, so you, you get anxious? I go, no, no, I wake up, I have anxiety. She goes, okay, well, um, what do you do about it? I go, oh, I lie there. And what do you do? I just lie there. Until when? Does it, does it stop? No. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the fuck up immediately. Unless you're tired and you just woke up for a second and you're going back to sleep, go back to sleep. If not, get the fuck up and start your day. And start doing things, go outside. And, you know, it sounds so stupid. Like, how is that going to work? It works. Just getting up, taking a piss, taking a walk. Little things like that. But you don't take any pills, right? Never taken any medications. Never. Well, I mean, no. uh, Nothing nothing prescribed for anything to do with anxieties or depressions or anything like that. Just just run-of-the-mill if I have to take a medicine. I'm not a non-medication person, but I fortunately have not had to take anything for the anxiety. And you sleep well when you go to bed. You are able to fall asleep. Even if you're playing the garden the next day, you're doing stand-up, you could still sleep knowing, ah, the garden will be there when I wake up. I've always been okay with, you know, sleeping, especially knowing I've got big, big sh- There's a weird comfort in knowing, oh, I've got these 10 theaters or arenas or, or shows, any gigs lined up. Right now is harder because I'm like, I miss being on stage mm-hmm. tremendously. I miss the community. I miss the camaraderie, even though we're all, you know, comics are, you know, texting each other and all that. I, I miss the visceral reaction and, and it's been hard, but I am, I'm, uh, I'm grateful that I have the ability to write, write a book, to, the ability to get on with a friend, have some, you know, laughs, talk. To, you know, scrap it a little bit and talk about the good and the bad. Hopefully somebody gets something from this that's humorous and heartfelt. And then we go on our day and know like we're just doing the best we can with what we have right here. Yeah. And if I'm being creative and I can at the end of it, it's funny when I started the book, I was talking to my, I have a guy that like I'll send once in a while, I'll be like, oh, can you read this? Does this matter? Should be, this be in there? Am I going to get sued for saying this or that? And this whole thing is I kept saying like, well, this is my 30 years in standup. I'm not really like, sure how it ends and he's like well at least you have your ending now he's like the (laughs) the pandemic is going to be the final chapter of this uh the first half of the career hopefully longer you know i read this that uh you know the whole tonight show thing you were watching the tonight show with your mom and carlin came out with the 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 cutout of himself the cardboard cutout right and then he it it was a car a cutout of himself and then he just dropped it like that's the old me this is me now fuck off in a way i mean how did that trans? So obviously that was important to you, right? Very. Talk to me about that. Very important to me because although I came up watching certain people 
in a in some form of a of a character, it always um, the thing that impacted me and and at the same time frightened me was the idea of kind of getting stuck in in a in a in a in a character on stage. You know, I love Dice and I'm friends with Dice to this day. But me at that time was watching him going, oh, what if he wants to do something that's beyond the the put on the you know the pomp of this whole thing. And that used to make me very nervous. What's funny is I was already trying to implement that into my standup, you know, pretty early, that Carlin moment. And now I watch my early shit and I'm like, I'm wearing like a black tank top and the gel and the and the thing that I thought wasn't a look is like, oh my God, that's like a character now when I look at that. <laughs> so it really is more than anything that for me, the the Carlin uh, evolution when you watch, you know, the 15 specials was him allowing his behavior to grow and change. The look that he has will always be indicative of the time. But for me, when you see my next stand-up special, it's my best stuff. I know it's my best stuff, building on everything else that I've I've implemented and, and crafted um, to get to a certain pedigree, to be able to tell the kind of stories and go even further inward, to be able to share that is uh, is because of Carlin, because of the moment of letting go of of preconceived notions. Well, I think that's awesome. That's also really hard to do. That's hard to do, you know, and especially, you know, when you look at yourself then, you know, even like somebody was sending a picture of, you know, I was such a dork in high school and I was like, ah, oh, they called me Spock. I had the Spock cut my senior year or whatever, but I was like, whatever. I, I just, I look back on just different things and instead of just embracing and going, this is who you were. This is the kids you were. It's okay. You don't have to be embarrassed by this. You do some kind of acting role 10 years ago and gosh, I wasn't that good. I thought that was good. That was, but we're so quick to judge everything we've done in the past. We're here because of the past. Right. And isn't it funny? Like you built, you've built an iconic character. A lot of people know you for, from an iconic character. You put your stamp on it. You made it original, unique, uh, you made it uh, textured. It's 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 a character that has exists existed for so many years in different ways, shapes, and forms. And yet, you're you are remarkable in that role. Why would we not want to go? Fuck yeah, I did that. That is me yeah. even today. That that piece of me with only those tools was able to to carve out this um, moment of of performance that I'm very proud of. Isn't it funny how? we can look on those moments now and be like, Oh, you yeah. know, I wasn't all there, but <laughs> you had what it took. Yeah. You know what? And I, that's funny. You said that I am good at now at like, if I, I don't, it's not like I watch myself, but sometimes I'll watch things and I'll go, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Did you're in the moment you committed, you did it. Fuck. Yeah. Do you're yeah. You know, if somebody says, Oh, you, you know, somebody, and I'm pretty freaking humble, but if somebody says, Hey, you were the best Lex Luthor kind of in the in my, back of my head, I want to go. Yeah. I, I agree with you. <laughs> I don't. I don't say that, but I'm like, I think you know, Gene Hatman's my. But I, you know, you have to take it sometimes and go. Yes, take that in. Take what they're saying. Appreciate what they're saying and believe it. Believe it. It's hard to believe that sometimes, and it's taken me a long time to believe that I'm worthy. The believe, and I think a lot of people go through that. You know, but I've had to learn this through time, and I think this goes for performance as well. And having had the the opportunity to play roles that are outside of comedy and roles that are based in comedy the thing that i look at is anything that people quote of mine to this day now i'm going on stuff that's quotable like fucking 20 years later the stuff that people quote regardless of the jeans you're wearing or the hair or the fucking the 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 show's over now there's a different version of the show all that aside the stuff that remains is when you put your real truth into any performance it it stays it has staying power it's timeless and I feel that of a role that you played, I can look at the pieces of my comedy that I know are still... Commitment, commitment. The commitment, but if you create... Okay, it's like pop music. If you put out a pop song 15 years ago and it's just fluff, but real good fluff, like fucking sugary, like dopamine, it's fluff, but it dissipates. And three or four summers later, you're not still going to be listening to that particular song. But the songs that now 20 years later, you you go hit play and fucking turn that shit up is because I believe something real that that artist put in that moment in that studio is what you're really connecting to 
more than the manufactured stuff that also gets put out there yes. that ends up like, I don't want to watch that movie again. You know, it's subliminal. I, I think it is. It is. It's one of those things where like people make fun of me because I love the seventies and eighties. They call it 70, eighties cheese. And I'm like, man, you listen to Christopher Cross's sailing all caught up in the reverie. Every word is a symphony. And you, ter- you put that on and you are on the ocean. Right. You are like, you're looking up at the canvas of your sail and yeah. you are, I'm, I'm telling you, it's how we laugh, but those you're- songs, they still have this, the, they resonate for me. I'm like, there's something touching. Maybe it's something uh, that I connect to. I'm very good at like, I'll, I'll remember a song and I know the date of the song. I know, I know it's probably came out either in, I'm going to say 81 or 82. That's it. I won't miss it by that. You're, you're, you're connecting with something organic yes. that that person truly felt to put into that performance. And I'll even go on the other side of it. There's certain painful moments in my life that are so diabolically painful. And yet I find myself like uh, bringing them up and kind of weirdly celebrating where I'm at now, having gone through that pain. But the reason I'm remembering them is because those painful moments that somebody did something to you that was so hurtful, those are just like that fucking Christopher Cross song. It's so real that you can't help but weirdly enjoy it because you got some truth. Even in pain, you went, that was real. That was a real thing that that person did to me or said to me or put on me. It's all the same. It's all entertainment destruction if it comes from a real place we still want to study it and talk about it i i, I agree man i think it's uh it's pretty cool you could do that because you've had some fucked up moments too you've had like we talked about the last time if you want to listen to the other uh interview with dane from a, a while back it was uh it was amazing and i got a lot of great feedback i mean it wasn't just i remember you said immediately you, you, a lot of people a lot of people love well love your podcast and then loved that i they loved how open and vulnerable you are and and people who had these sort of ideas of like who dane cook was or like oh even you know peers or whatever and whoever it was they were just like dude i love dane cook it just if you want to like we obviously didn't rehash a lot of the stuff we talked about then but it was it was moving it was amazing and i I couldn't believe how open you were because we didn't know each other that well we kind of saw each other in passing whatever but you are. I think that's why you're even happier than you were. I think that's why you're able to you're able to embrace things good or bad that happen and sort of say this is what happened. And yes, you talk about it because it probably makes you feel better. Right. Yeah. And it also in, informs current creativity. That's the best part of anything that you look up on the the whiteboard that you've made it through. That you can kind of like uh, what is that that usual suspects where you're like putting the threads in and seeing how everything makes up the path of where you got good and bad, the assailants and the, and the misdirection for me, everything goes into how does all that stuff inform how I, how I live and how I create, how I present to my fans, because that's all I'm good at. I'm good. I'm good at my relationships. I'm good at my performance. And there's a lot of things that obviously I'm, I'm, I would succeed terribly in, uh, a lot of things I would fail horribly in, but I'm I'm uh, lucky that I have a lane where I can use all that stuff and express it in a way that hopefully is always entertaining and moving. Yeah, you know, name drop, but the late Carrie Fisher told me once, she goes, you know, write what you know. And I remember I read Postcards from the Edge, and then I said, wow, because she wrote, obviously, Postcards. And then I started writing, and I just started writing these like, little vignettes of of my life. Oh, this is the time when Todd Stevens stood up for me and uh, beat the hell out of this kid who was picking on me. And, oh, this is a moment of this. And these dark moments that I wrote about, I was like, I don't know. But I was like, you know, Carrie's pretty effed up. She could handle this. And I gave her like 30 pages of, and I remember she looked at me and she goes, did this all happen? I go, yeah. She goes, a lot of this is obviously painful. And I go, yeah, sure. She goes, you know how you get rid of that? You just, you make money off it. She, in a way, she was like, you know, write about this. It's real. And this is how you get rid of it. This is, you succeed from it. Her way, it, it wasn't saying, but like, if you have this, this moment and it's real, sometimes you're like, I'm not going to exploit that. But some moments are like, they're brilliant. And instead of suffering going, oh my, kind of try to laugh about it. 
and try to write about it. And maybe someone will relate out there or somebody, somebody thinks that there's no way that happened, but that's funny. Like when I fucked my mom's fur coat, I won't get into that. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, listen, this has been awesome. By the way, the tour had to stop momentarily, right? Yeah, I was filming my special in July back in Boston. See that? uh, Yeah. The next special, but uh, like anything, you know, we're all on pause, so you can't be upset at it, even though you are. Um, But it'll pick up as soon as we're allowed to. So how many shows had you done before this camp? You stopped in March, right? I did all 19, and the second half of 18 was all like, on the road stuff to prepare for the special. So fortunately I got my couple of touring years there to be able to then take this time now to, you know, write a book and, and focus on, uh, I'm shooting a, a series too, a TV series that I'm also writing and producing and going to star in. So finish that up, finish the book. And then as soon as they say I can get back into Boston and film this special, then me and my crew are going to be back there. Are you ready to film it tomorrow or would you need a week to kind of get the juices going? Do a couple of clubs appearances, get it going, and then go. You know, dude, it, it's like I watched your interview with Swartzen, and it was like in that interview, I was recalling. Uh, anyway, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole there, but the whole the whole idea of stepping away from the stage for even a short amount of time when you're focused on filming, it every day that goes by feels like a month that you've been away. So a month being off stage at this point feels like I'm just starting over. Um, I, I know it'll be all right once I, you know, get into a groove, but yeah, I definitely am going to need a little bit of time to reignite certain ideas and just get passionate about certain pieces of material again. But if nothing else, it's like, I just been working on a, uh, a COVID chunk so I can at least talk about how I've been feeling and, what I'm seeing during this time. All right. This is a, we're going to wrap this up with some questions. This is shit talking with Rosenbaum. This is some patrons of mine who are, you know, supporting the podcast. And uh, these are easy. Nico P thick crust or thin. Thick. I'm a thin guy. I like the pan kind of crust, but I'm not like a Chicago pizza kind of guy. I don't like it to be like a fucking lasagna. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I like extra sauce though. I'll tell you that much. Extra potatoes. Always go extra uh, tomato sauce. Bob K, favorite decade and why? Got to be 80s. So much great music, man. Oh, man. What's your, come on. He didn't ask this, but I want to know. Who, who's your go-to? Like two or three bands. I always bring up some Guns N' Roses. Uh, anything from Appetite for Destruction. Uh, let's see. A lot of pop. A lot of 80s pop Good. stuff. But like one-hit wonder shit. You know what I mean? I, I just died in your arms tonight. That one's good. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, or, or like... Or like, uh, you know, you got to go Toto. I think we are, you know, we talked about like Africa. Oh, yeah. Just, well, they didn't have, they know, weren't one hit wonders though. Toto had some good shit. No, they, had a, they had a few. They oh, had yeah. a few. I love Chicago. So good. Little Duran Duran. Anything 80s. Anything 80s. I, I listen to 80s on 8 pretty much nonstop in my house. You know, if I wasn't an actor or whatever, I could, maybe I'll still do it. I'd love to be a DJ. 
This is Rosenbaum's 80s on Sunday night, 80s. We got a request from Dane Cook off the line. This one's from the Appetite for Destruction album. It's, ah, you know, I'd love to do that. Jennifer N. What? Here's a Kajagoogoo, too shy, shy. (laughs) Jennifer N., what is your favorite holiday? (laughs) My favorite holiday? (laughs) I didn't even look at that question. Jennifer? Yeah, I don't know. All I know is that, like, there's holidays that I've never acknowledged and that I don't like. I don't like Easter. I don't, it's. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But holidays, I don't know. I guess you got to go. Halloween. Thanksgiving because of the big dinner. I oh, yeah. I like, I like Thanksgiving. Jill E. You're such a pioneer of celebrities making good use of social media con- to connect with fans. Looking back, are you glad you did? And do you think that uh, you had a lasting impact on using social media to build a fan base? Oh, yeah, definitely. Glad I did. I felt like I was there during the, the initial enthusiasm of what it was to be able to do this and have a direct connection with, uh, with your fan base. Um, so yeah, nothing but pride in that whole era that I put into, uh, connecting with people virtually. Emily asks, which is easier for you stand up or acting in a movie easier. Mm. I mean, everything it's like with acting, especially comedy, it's such a collaboration. And if you're not volleying it like this, it's not funny. It doesn't matter how funny I am. If, you and I aren't in it together. It's going to suck. And then if your editor also is a person who doesn't really jive with comedy, it doesn't matter what you did on the set. Like later, you're going to be like, what the fuck did they do? What is that music? So you have control when you're doing stand up, is what you're saying. You have control. It's you. Stand up is like at least that direct, like I said, vessel to, you know, the initial idea getting the laugh. So stand up is easier, even though it's a lot of work. Sean W. What was your experience like in Hawaii Five O? Would you like to take on a more serious type of role like that one? I did Hawaii Five O? I did it because they initially offered me the role of Dano, and I said no. I turned it down because I did not want the island fever of living in Hawaii. So one of the few things that I openly say, I I uh, I got a direct offer. I said no, and then they called me and said, well. You know, we're we're fans. Will you do something? I was like, yeah, make me like kind of a maybe bad guy. I'll be Dano's brother. So we did that. <laughs> Andrew C. Scariest moment of any stand-up set you've ever done. Was there a moment where you're like, something happened? Something's uh, you're bombing. I almost fainted on Letterman. My second appearance. I had a hundred and two or three degree temperature. I was dealing with like the worst flu. I went on TV that night. I remember my mom calling me later when I was like, I almost fainted. And she's like, oh, I know you were gray. She's like, you looked fucking gray. You look like I was watching a Zenith television. You were so gray. (laughs) And if you look at the set on my second appearance, I, I come out and the adrenaline went up as I was already feeling terrible. And you see me walk up to the mic stand and just grab it. And then just fucking like hold it because the whole world starts closing in on me. And then thankfully I took one breath and I'm like, all right, I'm trying to like be like too cool. Hey, hi guys. Hello. Hi. And then that thing opened up and I was, I was okay. Do you think that's ever happened even with big comedians or any comedians where they go out and they pass out, they faint? I mean, I've heard of a couple of people like dying on stage even over the years. Over stress? musicians dying and i've heard of a couple of comedians that made somebody laugh so hard that somebody died during the show and they thought they were fooling around but i can't think of a comedian that's ever like uh yeah i can't think of that off the top but i do know there's been some weird shit that's happened in crowds during shows sophie m what last one what three words do you want as your epitaph on your grave to remember you oh god um to remember me three words on my grave let me do any amount of words you want no first of all i'm gonna get cremated so i don't i don't like this idea of a fucking grave. all right how about on a whiteboard somebody just writes some shit <laughs> somebody writes on a whiteboard i'll be back dane cook lived dane cook lived <laughs> dane cook was dane cook was his way dane his way that's next who- time i next time and i hope there is a next time I, i'd love to be on your show always dude always i feel like I feel like if we can have a very transparent moment, I feel like we're building a friendship through your program. Um, <laughs> I like they you know, said we program. We'll text a little bit here and there, but I truly feel like 
this is a unique kind of uh, bond that we have growing through this uh, format. Yes. hundred percent. I'm telling you after that first meeting with you, it doesn't happen often, but I'm like, I want to hang with that guy. I like him. He's genuine. I, not, only, not only that, not in a, uh, uh, what's the word? Opportunistic way. I say that word because I think I would be better because of you. You know, I feel like you're a good person. I feel like I'd learn from you. I feel like we, we were, I think there's an honesty. I think that's where we're trying to be honest and, and real as much as we can. I feel the same about you. And I say that not only through these conversations, but having now become a fan of, I'll watch your show and this, I hope you take this as a great compliment. I'll watch your show because sometimes I trust in you that I might like that other person that I'm not really sure if I'm interested in their journey. So I find that like by hooking up with your podcast, I'm watching and enjoying people that I probably like myself. And you mentioned with other people, I'm going, Oh wow. I didn't, I didn't realize that about that person. I, I like that. So that's the goal. I appreciate that with your, with your program. Well, dude, God, that, I mean, you said it. I mean, look, look, doing a podcast is hard. There's everybody and their mother has a podcast. And I just like, you know, I hope people like, I just want them to learn something. I want somebody to open up. I want, if they, if they want to, I'm open, I'm dysfunctional. I have all these things. So when you open up and people, that's, that's what it's about. And hopefully that, you know, that's what I say, just because, you know, when we get a hundred and some thousand people watch a certain interview, because, you know, they like that actor, it doesn't mean, you know, guys, maybe stick around because you might like or get something from Dane that you don't really know that well, or somebody else, or my dumbass might throw something witty at you. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah, man. No, this is uh but like I said, I feel like we, our rapport has grown. Yeah, uh, people absolutely. Are seeing it. People are seeing it like here, which is kind of fucking cool. I mean, not to say I don't want to have a lunch with you when this is all over and hang, we should wait a year and just do it through this. <laughs> just have lunch through zoom. Just, just we're, we're, it's a unique thing. You're seeing a friendship building through this medium, as opposed to like us saying, oh, we were hanging the other night and something happened. We wanted to talk about it. We're, we're really building up a rapport here, which I think is kind of, I think it's kind of interesting there, you know, cause I don't know what you're going to ask me. You don't know what I'm going to come at you with. We're not that familiar overall and yet we're becoming more and people are getting to see it and chime in on it and they should i think that's cool i hope one day i'll be sitting in that chair and i'll get a picture of me sitting in your chair your beloved chair of since 1997 it's a 23 year old chair that she bought for 1500 dollars from a man named we don't know yep but uh dude i love this i loved every bit of it um i'm gonna be texting with you and talking to you and, and thanks for allowing me to be inside of you once again my friend Michael, we'll see you on the next one, man. Thank you. Stay safe, dude. Dane Cook, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Thank you so much. Uh, again, just a reminder, thank you for uh, supporting uh, supporting me in the podcast. If you could do anything, uh, write a review, subscribe on YouTube, and and, uh, and on audio as well, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or however you listen to it. And um, keep listening, folks. I really appreciate it. Okay, just want to read a quick letter fan letter this is from Jacopo Jacopo I think it's Jacopo just wanted to thank Michael and the team for this incredible podcast experience I'm stuck at home for the COVID-19 quarantine situation in Italy is pretty crazy my eyes ache from staring at a computer screen all the time I'm offering my help as a psychologist and I found some relief and peace of mind by listening to inside of you so thanks and keep up the wonderful work well wow that's really sweet thank you Jacopo Jacopo, you say Jacopo. I see, you know what I'm talking about. It's always nice to uh, hear back that the show is affecting people in some way. So thank you very much. All my patrons, patrons. I always say that. Do you notice that? I always say all my patrons, my patrons. Top tier patrons. Here we go. Nancy D, Mary B, Leah S, Trisha F, Sarah V, Yukiko, Jill E, Brian H, and again, and again. Lauren G, Nico P, Barry L, Angelina G, Jerry W, Kevin R, Emily K, Bob B, Robert B, Jason W, Kristen K, Andrew C, Allison L, Jason D, Raj, Joshua D, Emily S, CJP, Rox Raccoon, Samantha M, I don't know why I said it like that, Samantha M, Hamza B, Jennifer N, Stacy Beth L, uh, Carly T, Vanessa in the Sky, Reem, good old Reem, Jennifer S, hi, Janelle B, 
I actually, every time I see a name, I want to say something, but it will add too much time. But I'm thinking of you, all of you. Janelle B, Neil W, Tabitha272, Kimberly E, Melissa C, Mike E, Jake M, Catherine M, Jake, Jack S, Carly S, Judith D, Ramira, Chris F, Sarah F, Chad W, Leanne P, Darla W, Jackie P, Rodrigo S, Rachel C, Travis B, Ray A, Ray A, Megan D, Demario M, Tina J, and Jennifer C. So uh, thank you so much, guys. Uh, it's just incredible. Um, credible support system and uh, it's nice to see your messages and I, and I try to write back as much as I can but uh, I feel like it's a little family there on the inside of you Patreon oh so just a reminder to uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't that really helps if you're enjoying this one uh, you know it's just uh, it's an awesome move on your behalf you just press subscribe on YouTube you can watch them but you can listen to them on Spotify Apple Podcasts or wherever you can listen to podcasts and uh, really appreciate your support. Follow us on the uh, at Inside of You podcast on Instagram and at Inside of You pod on Twitter. And we really appreciate all your help. It really does help. You might think, eh, what is mine going to It does, your little subscription. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.